Welcome everyone to Book of Bottom Roasting Saints Edition. This used to be a bonus episode, but I don't think anyone was listening and it made my heart feel sore, so I just put it in the normal feed. Everyone should get to listen to these Roasting Saints episodes because the Saints podcast is just bonkers. We've got, I can only imagine, very beautiful Sarah Eyring. I mean, we don't know what she looks like. She's a woman of mystery. I'm Googling her right now. She sounds amazing. Just blindfold me in her presence and, you know, we'll let our hands do the walking. Hell, she'd need a bag over my head anyway. So we're up to Saints episode 16 and the special guest today, Jed Woodworth, PhD, historian, writer with the church history department, and he clearly doesn't know his Bible, as we'll discover later. And I forget the main host's name. Oh, he doesn't even matter. Shall we get started? Are you all ready? Oh, hell yeah. Yes. All right. Happy to be back. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Did you hear that? I'm happy to be back, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go to the next clip. I've called this, I'm so excited, and can only write it. Oh, that's sad, isn't it? We tend to think of missionary work in the early church as having been performed by men. But in this case, Phoebe is writing back telling them about her excitement of the revelations that she has been reading in the newspaper, the saint's paper called the Evening and Morning Star. So it gives us a glimpse into how women who were constrained by traditional roles at that time could still show their exuberance in uh, the restored gospel and how they were able to share that gospel with friends. The thrill of hearing a prophet's voice and being able to order her life under the prophetic voice was was very exciting. The thrill of hearing prophets. I mean, (laughs) back then when there was no TV and no internet and all you had was a newspaper written by the Mormons and nothing else to do, I can understand that that would be a bit exciting for you. One thing I wanted to say when I first heard them say that we think that only men can be missionaries and the women can be missionaries too. Well, well, Joseph Smith was sending off men to go on missions while he was marrying their wives that were stuck back at home. That's right. He had a little mission for the wives himself, all just for him. It's hard to get a four-to-one ratio of women to men without... Getting rid of the boys. You know how they always say there were more women in the church at the time, and even now? You know, though, I think it's got to be true for a number of reasons. You can make an argument for it. Some people question those statistics in some ways, so we'll say it's questionable. Men die younger, just statistically, so women live longer. Yeah. I don't want to just say that all women are more likely to believe in a church. Uh, Men and women are different, JG. Let me propose (laughs) this hypothesis, okay? And I have nothing to back this up. It is just my theory. Uh, It's just generalizations. Women have uteruses. And they are the ones that have babies. And that is a huge burden to undertake, even if your husband or man is doing his fair share, which we all know is... What? Blowing his load? (laughs) 
Yeah, that's his one job. That's all he did. Like he made a baby by putting one in you. So women need community to survive. Right. When I don't have sugar and I have babies to feed, I'm going to my next door neighbor. Mm. When I have babies that need watching, good luck finding a man in the neighborhood that's going to do it, especially back in the day. And I'm not saying men don't do their fair share when it comes to labor outside of the home. But look, even now, women do their labor outside of the home and then come home and do a lot of the chores inside. That's right. Imagine what it was like in the 1830s or whatever. Women, of course, they're looking for a community. And if the only community you have is inside of a church that is providing a lot of women around you, you have some level of support. There's no birth control. Like, you're having babies. Like, you need help. They had one lambskin condom that they passed around. Ah! <laughs> they passed it around. If it wasn't your term for it, then... Um... And it was only in desperate cases when the woman had already had seven children. Christ. And she's like, look, I can't do anymore. I need the condom. It's my turn. Right. Christ. I'll fill in for Jones. Christ. Christ. So church is a place where you get that community. Yeah, they're going to lean on their sisters to help him out. I get that. You know, he's talking about women were more constrained in those days. <laughs> which, I mean, in the broader society is true, but... Yeah. In the church, it was actually less true, I think. Right. Because back in Joseph's day, when they were a little bit more woo, and there were women who were allowed to preach and prophesy and bless and, and do all sorts of things, and then that all got shut down. In fact, in a few episodes, they're going to talk about the Relief Society. I, I sort of looked ahead. I'm doing my homework here. And Spoilers. Spoilers, that's right. Just want to say, back in the day, a woman would not have considered it a large constraint to be wearing those underwear because kind of everybody was wearing underwear like that. Like, so the Mormons weren't doing any different underwear. I don't think they'd even invented the underwear yet. Oh, and yes, drink for the underwear. Oh my God, I almost missed it. <laughs> So we were talking about if you send all the men away on mission trips and so forth, then you're going to artificially create more women in the church. And I wonder if that happens in other denominations too. I'd never thought of that. They just kill each other off faster and they die younger and they do dumber things that get them killed. Uh, especially in their 20s. Yes. <laughs> you know, there are lots of reasons I think you would say that there could have been more women than men. I think that the apologists use that as an excuse. Yeah. Because there are lots and lots of societies where there are more women than men, and they find other ways for the women to support themselves and be supported that don't involve, you know, polygamy. Subjugating them into polygamy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think what was interesting about this clip that we listened to, he's basically saying, oh, these women were just dripping wet because they got to hear the prophet's words. Well, he is very charismatic. And not directly written down. Oh, well, maybe not as good. <laughs> he has a really distorted idea of what makes women be thrilled. That's the word he used. I feel really sad for his wife. And I just fear that she mustn't really have ever known excitement in her life. Like many, 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 many of, of her sisterly compatriots, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure, yes. By the way, Gigi, I think that clip play very well leading on into that Rusty Nelson video that you said. It was so freaking creepy. Did you creepy. see that? How creepy that man is. He's like, you know what profit means. Do you know what the word profit means? Oh, he's so unexciting. He's so boring and slow. Oh, it's like Skeletor whispering into your ear. Now, why do I surround myself with fools? <laughs> 
Okay, kids, I speak for God. I feel like it was produced like by the propaganda department of North Korea on spec. Oh, wasn't it? It just seemed so stilted. Where was the teleprompter? They're so unaware of how badly they come across. Yeah. All right. The next best. I've called this, if God is supplying all the ideas, he needs to stop. <laughs> There is this phrase in the Revelations that in nothing doth God, is God displeased except those who do not acknowledge his hand in all things. Right. We can embrace great humanistic tradition, but we must acknowledge that God is the supplier of the talent, and he is the giver of the ideas. And if we don't, then he's displeased with us. So the only thing that pisses off God is if you don't give him 100% for everything. Yes, something like that. It was poorly quoted and I didn't actually check to see if that was a quote from Revelations because he didn't really give us a verse to look it up. But I'm sure it says somewhere there that all at least good ideas come from God. It's not exactly an original thought. I've read the Bible. I'm pretty sure there are more things that make him mad. Yes. Yeah. There's a pretty substantial list if you were to put them all together. So. I mean, everything makes him mad. Like, just <laughs> add it to the pile. <laughs> I'm making him mad right now. <laughs> Some people believe God is just everything and that the whatever's in you, like the consciousness of your energy or whatever, that energy just goes back to where it came from and it's like an ocean of energy. I fucking hate that. Oh, you don't want to assimilate into the Borg. I don't want to go into some amorphous one when I die. You want to stay patient forever. Right. I'm a thinking thing. I, I feel like I'm alive. Well, you are now while you have a human body, but when your body is gone... I'm self-aware. I want to stay self-aware. Don't you think that that little bit of self-awareness will slowly grow into more awareness? Like you'll evolve out of it. Yeah, fuck that. You want to stay patient. I don't want to merge into one i'm already one <laughs> that seems very non-evolving like i don't mind evolving into something much bigger and expansive i don't mind evolving a better one but see while i'm here on this earth i like to think that i get credit like i'm just allowed to grow and do what i want while i'm here right but you know don't get so that god is the one that you're constantly thinking like give the little guy some credit like hey i'm trying i'm on earth i'm doing what i can mm. What about you, Brother Ben? This is all very deep and theological for my taste, so... Yeah. Do you want to merge into the amorphous one? I don't fucking know. <laughs> I, I don't think about it a great deal anymore. And we don't know what's going to happen, but I don't want that to happen. But what's going to happen with this next clip, <laughs> Patience? What a segue! <laughs> I just wanted to add about that last clip that God does not have good ideas anyway. Like, if we're supposed to give him credit for everything, even his good ideas are shit. His best idea was to save everyone on the planet by crucifying his son. By human sacrifice. This is someone with infinite resources. He can do whatever he wants because he's all powerful. And that was his best idea. And it doesn't even make sense. I think what we don't do really is we don't give God enough credit for all the stuff that goes wrong because that's all. <laughs> right. Right. He created the talent that built the uh, concentration camps and... The buck stops here, right? Uh-huh. Modern capitalism. The children that are starving right now. The uh, unmanned drone killed 100 people. All praise to Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know, we couldn't have done it without him. Like... Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the droning. Oh. Yeah. I find 
it a lot easier to square that kind of world with the non-existence of a benevolent supreme being. Yeah, there's a lot less cognitive dissonance just to think, you know what, it kind of all just happened. There's no plan. It feels lonely, though, to think that way. It feels hopeless in some ways because I think people have a lot wrapped up in the idea that there's more afterlife, but yeah. It often actually makes me feel hopeful. Mm. And the reason is because when I was a kid, you know, like a teenager and stuff, the thing that I was truly worried about as a believer was that we were all very convinced that Jesus was coming in soon. And I was like, I just want to have a life, man. <laughs> the stories about how shitty it's going to be before it happens, like that really worried me. Right. Better get your fucking in now. <laughs> well, and I wasn't. I better not get my fucking in now because who knows if I do it at the wrong time. Blowing your load when Jesus comes back, that wouldn't be a good look, would it? Well, I mean, he knows when I do that every time. Right. You just got to be used to it at this point, but... And he knows when to time it right. <laughs> but, you know, but, but like for real, like when I realized that I didn't have to accept anymore the doomsday Christianity in general and that strain of Mormonism in particular wasn't an inevitable future, to me that was hopeful. Okay. Yeah, some people see it that way. I get the reasoning. I'm less hopeful now than I was when I was 20, just for the record. <laughs> yeah. A lot of shit has happened since then. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, isn't that funny? Ah, oh, the hopelessness. Oh, you know, <laughs> I'm coming at the thought of the hopelessness. <laughs> All right, segue. Oh. Next clip. So I've called this one. Brigham read this shit and was convinced. Oh, my God. What a dickhead. Samuel Smith dropped off a copy of the Book of Mormon in New York to Brigham's sister, Rhoda. And that book traveled through the Young family, converted the entire family, including Brigham Young. And so this was a chance for Brigham Young to meet for the first time the translator of a book that he already had a testimony of. Brigham, Brigham, Brigham. If you just read the book, I don't think he really read the book. I think he might have skimmed some parts of it. I don't think he read it. When I was reading his biography, he didn't sound like a big reader. I think he just got some ideas. And what do you think, brother? Do you think he really read it? I don't know. I go back and forth in my head about whether or not I believe specifically people like Joseph Smith and Hiram and Brigham Young believed what they said. Right. Part of me thinks that they mostly did because that's easier mentally. Mm. It's not as much work if you talk yourself into the thing that you're trying to sell. To me, it just feels like cognitively easier to do it that way. Going along with that, there's also the idea of the greater good. Like if this is what people need to hear to get them all together to settle the West and do it securely and build a town, mm. if that's what gets them together to organize and cooperate, and if that's what gets me laid with 55 different wives, oh my God. is what puts money in the bank. No, that totally makes sense. Too. Yeah. And then when it starts working and you see how much money it's making and how many wives you're getting, it must be true if all these people are believing it because look what it's doing. <laughs> if it wasn't God, then would I be sitting on this pile of gold bullion and 55 wives? <sighs> Which is weird. That's a really high wife pyramid to climb up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my numbers might be a little off. I, it might have been 45. I think your numbers are a little bit off. I, I can't remember how many I wives he actually had. I can't remember. I think it was 55. 
five. What benefit is it to doubt when you are pulling in that much money and that much pussy? <laughs> Actually, according to Wikipedia, he had 56 wives. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> oh, I was off by one. Gigi wins that one. Wow. And keep in mind, we're not counting the ones that were married spiritually to him in the temple after they were dead, because that was a thing they did for a while. Spiritual necrophilia. Oh, this church has something for everyone. So, the next clip I've called Smitty entices Brigham to stay with his tongue. Joseph held a small meeting and invited Brigham to pray. Brigham felt the spirit move him to speak in an unknown language. The people in the room were startled. Brethren, I shall never oppose anything that comes from the Lord, Joseph said, sensing their discomfort. That tongue is from God. Joseph then spoke in the same language, declaring that it was the language Adam had spoken in the Garden of Eden. That tongue was from God is exactly what at least 40 of the 56 wives said. God's tongue. God. Horrible. I'm terrible in bed, so I think my tongue does not come from God. Mine comes from the devil. But I do wonder, like, when that was recorded, or if that was one of those things. That, well, the first written evidence was from 1865, but we're confident that it really happened. I mean, I recall hearing that there were instances of people in the church speaking in tongues, but that it was something that doesn't happen anymore, and that if it ever did, it was more along the lines of a missionary who goes to another land and very quickly acquires the language like miraculously which you know through immersion can happen and I'm sure then they exaggerate the acquisition of that new language but nobody gets up and talks in the tongue of the Garden of Eden but that was going around a lot of, I think at the time just in where they lived mm, yeah some of the other churches they were doing all that gifts of the spirit shit just like they do now the reason the people there were kind of shocked was because Smitty had just condemned some of the people for using the gifts where it was just copying. That wasn't the real gift, you know, you're getting too carried away. Only he can do it. It's only his tongue. That's right, only he can do it. Nobody else has got God's tongue, just him. Brigham comes along and isn't aware of any of that and he just starts doing his glossolalia and Smitty wants to keep this guy because he can see he's got him in the palm of his hand. This guy's a true believer. He can tell that he hasn't really read his book and that he's into him he wants to keep him so he starts speaking in tongues along with him they have this conversation i wonder what they thought each one was saying i bet it went something like this brigham was like and smitty thought that means oh he loves me and then smitty says back and brigham thought oh he loves me too and i wonder if for a moment they thought we should get a room and then they almost kissed <laughs> And they almost kissed. <laughs> By the way, Patience, I meant to tell you the last episode that you did that. Your speaking in tongues uh, is extremely good. You're very good at it. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I, I was super, super impressed with your speaking in tongues. <laughs> it's not something I ever practiced. It's not something I ever got to do. Uh, it's not something I did a lot of. I've done it more since being an ex-Christian because it's sometimes fun to just walk around the apartment and speak in gibberish. Better than, than at the supermarket, for sure. <laughs> I never really did it when I was in church. I always felt like it was me putting on a show and I didn't want to do it if that's what it was. To me, it should be something that was truly a real thing and I never felt like it was. They would 
actually tell you, you've got to practice it. You've got to practice your gift. And I'm thinking, no, you don't. How is it a gift then? Yes. Yeah, if it was God, like a lightning bolt coming through my brain, you would anticipate that it was something that I wouldn't even be conscious of it. Right. Like you would think that you would wake up and be like, what happened? You were channeling God. Mm-hmm. How do you speak in tongues if you're deaf and mute? Your hands. I don't know. Could sign it. There's so many things that fall through the cracks with various forms of Christianity. Someone always loses. All right, next clip. Oh, this is a good one. We're going to really flesh this out because this guy fucks up. And I'm wondering if he fucks up because maybe, you know how Smitty and Rigdon were working on a different version of the New Testament where they sort of rewrote it? Did they actually finish it? If you get a Mormon version of the Bible, right? they put Joseph Smith's translations in the footnotes. Uh. For a long time, and maybe still, the actual copyright to that was owned by the community of Christ because oh, really? <laughs> Lucy took it with her. Get on you. Lucy. After Joseph died. You gotta take something with you from all of that horse shit. Interesting. There's sections of it, like one that sticks with me is the very beginning of John in the New Testament where it's something like in the beginning there was the word I think it's really beautifully written in the King James Version and he does this whole big thing with it to try to make it square with Mm. Mormon theology which is all in footnotes of the LDS version of the Bible mostly I think in the New Testament Right. never finished it are you able to find Acts chapter 2 and see if there's any footnotes because I'm curious if what this fellow is saying is based on Smitty's interpretation of it because what he's saying is pretty different. So, what did you find, Brother Ben? So, I guess he did quite a bit of stuff in Genesis and Exodus too. Psalms, Isaiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts 9 and 22. But not chapter 2. Well, this guy really fucked it up. So here's what I was talking about real quick. This is John 1.1. The original verse in the King James. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Such an iconic line. It really is. Joseph's version was, in the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son, and the gospel was the Word, and the Word was with the Son, and the Son was with God. And the son was of God. He just wants to take all the mystery out of it. And the thing is, you can't, you know? I remember, like, the first time this really struck me, I was on my mission. And I was reading through John, and I'm like, and this first chapter is, you know, I think very nicely written. But the theology from, like, a Mormon standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense. No. And so, Joseph rewrote it to make it fit the theology. Right. A lot of what he did were things along those lines. Thank you for letting me have that digression. (laughs) I enjoyed it. Good. I sometimes nerd out on parts of the Bible that I think are cool too, so there you go. Um, So, Jed Woodworth, PhD, fucks this up. Let's have a listen. Acts chapter 2, where on the day of Pentecost, there are Christians who have come from all over. Many of them are not able to understand each other. They speak different languages, but in a spiritual outpouring on that day, they suddenly were able to understand each other and spoke in a common language. 
No, they weren't suddenly able to understand each other. And no, they did not speak a common language. Let me tell you the first bit of Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read it from the NIV because it's easy to understand. But it wouldn't matter what translation you read it in. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So this is the very early Christians, mainly the apostles. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So there can't have been that many of them if they're all together in one place, hey, and they're in a house. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5. There were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Except the ones that were in the New World or Australia or New Zealand or the islands or East Asia. Yes. Jed said that Christians from everywhere came together. No, no, these were Jews. They were all in Jerusalem at the time, some festival or some holiday or something. I forget what the explanation is. But it wasn't Christians that came together. And this gets reiterated multiple times all the way through. So verse 6. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So they weren't talking in a common tongue. You got it, Gigi! Star! These apostles or whatever were speaking, but apparently the people listening on could hear their own disparate languages being spoken. But they certainly weren't conversing. Verse 7. Utterly amazed, they asked Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? <laughs> That's a bit of a dig at Galileans, apparently. It's like, aren't all these uneducated fishermen? They say, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Verse 9. Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Oh, God, the Bible loves rattling off long lists of shit. Verse 10. Phrygia. Phrygia. And Pamphylia. <laughs> Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome. Both Jews and converts to Judaism in brackets. Oh, okay. It just reiterates the fact these are not Christians. These are not converts to Christianity that are Jewish. Cretans and Arabs, they also came. And it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. God is great. He made the world. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Look at all this shit he's done. He helped us win wars, blah de blah de blah And they were hearing it in their own tongues. They weren't conversing with each other. Maybe they were all hearing gibberish, but they felt something that communicated a feeling to them all together. Oh, this didn't really happen. But if they're going to use this as a source, at least get it right. I mean, let me just put it this way. I don't think that any of the Latter-day Saints back in the day were big on literature and research and theology. They were just going to abscond with whatever portions and bits and bobs that they needed in order to convince women to sleep with them and convince people to give them money. <laughs> Damn it! You figured us out, Gigi! They didn't need to get into the theology, just say enough things that were convincing. It doesn't take a lot if I do it strongly enough, with enough conviction and long enough, it 
until I wear them down. I just got out of a fucking 10-hour mediation. Oh, Jesus. The longer it goes, the more people get worn down, and that <laughs> is how you make money. But please don't date that way out there. If you're listening, that is a terrible way to date. <laughs> if a woman date. in your DM says, fuck off, you need to just... Fuck off, yeah. Don't, don't keep right. at it. I know it sucks. But you just gotta. Look, I see people in Texas giving preachers so much money that they can buy jet planes. Mm-hmm. If I was unethical and I had more time and I don't know, no scruples or whatever, like people do it. <laughs> And it doesn't take a lot of theology or study. It takes psychology. Can you imagine the psychology of someone actually convincing a woman to sleep with them by speaking in tongues? I just can't picture that happening. They were thrilled. I don't buy any of it. No, 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 no. Next clip. A word so wise it has no fixed meaning because a lot of this episode was about the word of wisdom coming in and a few other things that I skipped because they were just so fucking boring. Anyway, let's have a listen. Sometimes when people learn that the word of wisdom has been understood and practiced in different ways, they get concerned. The brilliance of the revelation, from my point of view, is that it can be interpreted in different ways over time according to the circumstances of the saints. In the 20th century, uh, there was a more exacting standard that was asked of the saints. What the fuck is he talking about there being a more exacting standard? Tell me what he means there, Brother Ben. You know, like the idea that coffee and tea were things you weren't supposed to drink was not really a thing that was followed until maybe the 70s. Really? Like in the 60s, it was not uncommon or otherwise faithful Mormons would often drink coffee. Because it's necessary for life, yo. Well, and I think then it also goes to the idea of... Well, what do they mean? Are they talking about caffeine? Is it okay for me to drink a red Mountain Dew? You know, can I have like crystal light now that has caffeine in it? And that was what my Mormon friends would drink because it's not a hot liquid and it's not coffee, but they were drinking just as much caffeine. Then what does it mean to only eat food that is in season? Now that's never been followed, but... (laughs) Why did that rule not take off? You know, so it's a very subjective on how it's implemented. He talks about it being more exacting now, but the thing is, you got the Utah Mormons drinking Coca-Cola, but some other ones, that's not a thing. But that got the official okay. Did it? The Word of Wisdom is not talking about these things. Oh, really? And keep in mind that the church owns many, many shares of Coca-Cola <laughs> Company and PepsiCo and, and all the others, but... Who gave it the official okay? Let me find it. But I remember there being a lot of speculation, because at the time, and I think still, you couldn't buy caffeine beverages on BYU's campus. Oh, really? They, they might finally be able to get something besides decaffeinated Coke. Such an exacting standard in the 20th century. My God. I asked our friend the chatbot here, which I'm just going to call it the chatbot because I don't like calling it the chat GPT. Chat GPT 3, because there's four coming out soon. It's going to be even smarter, GG. It's going to blow your mind. Yeah, I'm scared. I will pay whatever it costs to have this in my life every day. I know, right? I said chatbot. Explain like I'm five. What is the word of wisdom for Mormons? (laughs) The word of wisdom is a set of guidelines that members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are encouraged to follow. It is found in the Doctrine and Covenants, which is a book of teachings and revelations that was 
given to the church's founder, Joseph Smith. The word of wisdom is meant to help people make good choices about what they eat and drink so that they can stay healthy and strong. Unite choices. It says that people should not drink alcohol, coffee, or tea, and that they should eat healthy foods like fruits and vegetables. It also says that people should not use tobacco or other harmful drugs. By following the word of wisdoms, Mormons believe that they can better serve God and be good examples to others. This has nothing to say about marijuana <laughs> or Prozac. Or what else are all the women into? Well, according to Elder Jed, the most popular drug is whatever the prophet says. It just makes them so excited, Gigi. They just don't know what to do with themselves. So I found it. It was 2012. Right. It was an official announcement posted on the church's website that basically said the word of wisdom doesn't have anything to say about caffeine. Okay, interesting. I mean, it tells you to eat healthy, but how many fat Mormons do you know? <laughs> Fat everyone. Everyone's fat. Although I have to say they have a lot of hot chicks in Utah. Oh, they do. Agree to agree. There is something about them. I heard Emma Smith didn't like all of the spittoons and the chewing tobacco because it was disgusting and gross. That is disgusting. So he wrote into the Word of Wisdom that tobacco wasn't allowed. But the men didn't like the women gossiping over their tea all the time. And so as like a tit for tat, they got rid of the tobacco and the tea and the coffee because of all those women sitting around having their tea time, gossiping. I believe that story 100%. I could totally see that happen. They talked about in the episode Emma being unable to clean the tobacco spittoon from the floor of the place or temple or whatever it was at the School of the Prophets that they'd set up, which was basically kind of like an education facility. We didn't cover that because it was just so boring. But that's a lot less from the word of God than from your wife bitching and moaning about cleaning up after all you assholes spitting all over the place. Yeah, well, if you're a narcissist enough, then those two things are the same thing. That's right. <laughs> just like Rusty tells all those children in that clip. Do you know what profit means? Do you know what profit means? Do you know what the word profit means? It means word of God. He speaks for God. If you don't know, I can explain it in person later. <laughs> President Nelson, would you ever lead anyone astray? Oh, no. That's not what prophets do, is it? It is fucking <laughs> creepy. Did you see the look of those children's faces? They did not know how to respond, those kids. Ugh. Even the woman who asked the question, she asked it like she was a prisoner. Those kids were like, am I smiling the right way? What am I doing? And they dressed them up so artificially like they were from the 1950s. But they threw in a few black kids. I thought that was like a nice try. I know. The diversity hire was so fucking obvious. They had to go and look for those children. Oh. They looked like prisoners of war or something doing forced confessions. Because this is the beginning of their brainwashing and you got to get them while they're young. If the president of the church should ever lead people astray, God would take him away. So I like to stay here and I won't lead you astray. I like to stay here and torture children. Oh, God. I speak for God. Just pull down your pants, little boy. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's not what prophets do. Oh, no, precious. No. Prophets don't lead people astray. Astray? <laughs> he wants to stay here and eat your souls. He's not going to lead you astray. He speaks for God. Thank you so much, everyone. All right, well, thank you guys for giving me my only entertainment this week because the rest of it is work. I'll see you next week. We'll see you later. See ya. Bye. Bye. I guess this is my new normal. He speaks for God.